Thank you for downloading Crises and Kings with Rabbi Michael Hatton, an exploration of the Book of Samuel. This series is a production of Purdue North America in partnership with the Corn Podcast Network and is lovingly sponsored by the Newstein family in memory of Rabbi Dr. Joseph Newstein for his fourth yard site. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening. And now, Michael Hatton. Welcome back, everyone, to our Pardes podcast on Sefer Shemuel. This is Michael Hatton. Last time, we discussed chapter 13. This was a crisis moment for Shaul. Remember that Shaul had begun the task of creating a standing army. Part of the force had been entrusted to his son, Yonatan. Yonatan had killed the Philistine governor, and the Philistines now massed for attack. Some of the Israelites fled, some of them rallied around Shaul, and Shaul took his force to Gilgal in the Jordan Valley, far away from the Philistines, in order to prepare for the next move. But of course, Shemuel had told him to wait for seven days until Shemuel would arrive to offer the sacrifices. The seven days ticked down. Shaul's force began to scatter. The Philistines were approaching, and Shaul decided to offer the first of the sacrifices, the burnt sacrifice, and Shemuel arrived and criticized him. You have been foolish. You did not keep the charge of God. If you would have done so, he would have made your kingdom an eternal one. Shaul explained, it's not my fault. The people scattered. The Philistines were approaching. You didn't show up on time. What else could I have done? Only one thing missing from Shaul's explanation is, of course, any taking of responsibility on his part. The primary role of the king is to keep the people together, to unify them, to inspire them, to fortify them, and to hold them steadfast, come what may. And that, of course, was Shaul's tragic mistake. So the chapter ended really with Shemuel leaving Shaul behind, Shemuel now going to Geva in the land of Binyamin, where Yonatan's force was stationed, and Shaul himself sheepishly will follow with his small force of Israelite fighters, most of them not possessing weapons of any serious type. Remember that the Philistines had made metallurgy, something that was out of Israelite hands, and so swords and spears and anything made out of metal was therefore in short supply. Obviously, they might have bows and arrows, they might have slingshots, but they will not be capable of any kind of close combat with the Philistines under the circumstances. Just to note the geography a little bit, the action is about to take place in the hill country, north of Jerusalem, if we're sort of thinking in modern day terms. The Israelite force is massed at a place called Geva, the Philistine force at a hilltop just a little bit north of Geva called Michmas, and in between is a valley. Chapter 14 begins with these two forces opposed to each other, but no actual engagement has yet happened. 
And Yonatan turns to his armor bearer and he says, let us go up to the Philistine encampment. He doesn't tell his father about what he's planning. And Yonatan says, we're going to attack them. Hashem lanu. Verse number six, perhaps God will act on our behalf because there is nothing to hold God back, whether to save with many or to save with few. Basically, what Yonatan is saying is, it doesn't matter to God whether we are a small and weak force or whether we are an overwhelmingly strong force. With his help, we can prevail. This is, of course, a biblical idea, a fundamental one, that at the end of the day, what decides the battle is nothing but God's involvement. And therefore, even if we are outnumbered and outgunned and outmaneuvered, if it's God's will, we will prevail against the enemy and defeat them. For Yonatan to be voicing such thoughts at a moment such as this is a clear indication of his deep and profound, steadfast spiritual energy. Clearly, he has trust in God that God will give them victory. And more than that, his armor bearer responds, do what is ever in your heart. I am with you after your own heart. Not only is Yonatan a deeply inspired individual with a profound trust in God, but he is able to also communicate that to the people around him, to those that follow him, and to those that will go into battle with him. And sure enough, he and his armor bearer scramble up the hilltop to the Philistine encampment. They attack them. And the Philistines are immediately thrown into chaos. They were not expecting an Israelite attack. It's really just Yonatan and his armor bearer, but they quickly cut down almost 20 Philistine men. Maybe they weren't armed at the time. It's not entirely clear. But the point is that the entire Philistine encampment is thrown into chaos, as the verse describes it. Vatihi lecherdat Elohim, a trembling from God, fell upon them. The lookouts in the Israelite camp notice movement in the Philistine encampment across the hill, but it's not an organized movement as if the Philistines might be attacking. It's something which is chaotic and disorganized. Shaul says, Who's not here? Somebody's missing. Turns out that Yonatan is not there. So Shaul now knows that Yonatan has attacked the Philistine encampment. Shaul sounds the alarm and all the people that are with him, all of the Israelites that are with him, now go into battle against the Philistines. The Philistine encampment is completely overwhelmed. Israelites that had been captured by the Philistines now turn against them as well. All the Israelites who had gone into hiding in Mount Ephraim now join the fight. And verse 23 reports with a dose of very, very heavy biblical history. Vayosha Hashem Bayom Hahu et Yisrael 
God save the people of Israel on that day. It's a verbatim quote from Exodus chapter 14. Vayosha Hashem vayom hahu et Yisrael miyad Mitzrayim. God saved the Israelites from the Egyptians on that day. What day? The day of the miracle of Yamsuf. And obviously, the author is now inviting us to draw a parallel between these two events. An Israelite force overwhelmed by an oppressor who had a massive army and incredible arms. And somehow the Israelites prevailed, nonetheless, not somehow, God saved them on that day. So now the Philistines are in retreat. Shaul pursues them. Israelites join the fray and pursue the Philistines as well. Shaul says, we will continue pursuing the Philistines and cutting them down until the evening. And now Shaul pronounces an oath. No one is permitted to eat a thing until evening comes, when of course the battle will be over. We don't want to be delayed. People are to continue pursuing the Philistines until the last moment of daylight. And then they enter into a forested area, and there is honey. But no one will touch it, no one will eat it, no one will taste it, because of course, Shaul has pronounced an oath. Yonatan, who is now part of the force, didn't hear his father pronounce the oath, and he tastes the honey, and the text reports that his eyes lit up. They were so exhausted, they were so hungry. Now that he's eaten some of the honey, his strength is restored. Someone turns to him and says, but what about your father's oath? Yonatan says, Achar avi et ha'aretz, verse 29, my father has unsettled the earth. My eyes have lit up because I've eaten just a little bit of this honey. If father had only allowed the people to consume some of the spoils of the enemy in the course of their pursuit, how much greater the attack against the Philistines would have been. In the end, as darkness falls, the people swoop down on the Philistine spoils. They slaughter the animals, cattle and sheep, and the text reports in verse 32, the people ate the meat with the blood. There are many commentaries as to what the infraction exactly was. Perhaps it means, as Rashi says, they paid no regard to killing the animals and their offspring on the same day, which is a Torah prohibition in Vayikra 23. Or perhaps what it means is, Although they were offering sacrifice, they consumed the flesh of the animal before sprinkling the blood, which is another ritual infraction. Or maybe it means they didn't do the slaughter properly and the knives were not sharp enough. They were in such a rush. Or maybe it means they didn't allow the blood to drain, which is, of course, a hallmark of the kosher preparation of meat. You remove the blood before you consume the meat. Or maybe it means they ate the meat next to the blood pooling, which recalls an idolatrous prohibition in the book of Vayikra, chapter 19. 
Whatever the infraction is, it clearly follows directly from the fact that the people were starving and not able to restrain themselves. So when they got their hands on the spoils of the Philistines, they ate that stuff like there was no tomorrow. Shaul says, tell the people to stop sinning against God. And he sets up a large stone. And the people now present the animals to be slaughtered at that stone, an altar as it were, so that they would no longer commit the crime of eating the flesh with the blood. Shaul says, perhaps we should continue the pursuit into the night, which is always a dangerous undertaking. Perhaps we should continue to try and cut down the Philistines until morning light. Let us inquire of God, but God does not respond. That's a bad sign. It means that there's something wrong such that God is not responding to the inquiry. In the end, it is determined the reason why God did not respond was because Yonatan had consumed from the honey against his father's oath. Shaul says, Yonatan must die. And Yonatan says, here I am, father. Hineni amut, behold, I am presenting myself to death. Shaul says, by God, I swear that Yonatan will die. Fortunately, verse number 48, the people step in. Yonatan, who brought this incredible salvation to us on this day, certainly cannot be put to death. And they redeemed him from the sentence. And the chapter then concludes with, a general description of Shaul's defeat of the Israelite enemies. The Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the kings of Tzoba, the Philistines, the Amalekites, which we'll read about in the next chapter. And finally, at the end of chapter 14, you might say a little bit after the fact, we will meet Shaul's family officially, his five children, oldest among them, Yonatan, followed by Yishvi and Malkishua and his two daughters, Meirav and Michal, his wife, Achinoam, the daughter of Achimaatz, and his chief of staff of Ner, Ben Ner, who happens to be his cousin. The chapter concludes that the war against the Philistines raged all the days of Shaul, and whenever Shaul saw a valiant fighter, he brought him and incorporated him into his fighting force. What exactly is this chapter about? So clearly, the central figure in the chapter is none other than Yonatan. It is not Shaul, it is rather Yonatan. Yonatan is the one who takes the decision to attack the Philistine encampment, much as he took the decision earlier to kill the Philistine governor, which sparked the Israelite rebellion. At the same time, Yonatan emerges at the end of the chapter intact in spite of his father's oath. And ultimately, although the chapter concludes with a description of Shaul's exploits and Shaul's family and Shaul's chief of staff, really the chapter seems to be offering almost a mirror image of Shaul's conduct in chapter 13. Let us consider how. Remember what Yonatan says to his armor bearer 
It doesn't really matter to God whether we are many or whether we are few. God can save and his armor bearer is inspired enough to embark with him on what seems like almost a suicide mission, but turns out to be a fantastic victory because Yonatan had steadfast trust in God that he would prevail. It's almost as if Yonatan in this chapter is presented as the analog to Shaul in chapter 13. Shaul in chapter 13, as the king of Israel, was not able to hold it together. As the pressure mounted, he lost his cool. As the Philistines approached and the people scattered, Shaul was not able to hold them together. But that's precisely what a king must do. Effectively, chapter 14 is offering us, perhaps, a different candidate for king, namely Yonatan himself. Remember, by the way, back in chapter 9, when we met Shaul before he was king and his servant boy, Shaul himself really did not take the initiative. The servant boy had to say, let's visit Shemuel. The servant boy had to say, I've got the, I've got the quarter shekel of money. I can pay him, whatever the case may be. And Shaul simply, passively was swept along. How glaring a contrast is Yonatan here. There's another servant boy with Yonatan, it's his armor bearer, but clearly Yonatan is the one who takes the initiative. Yonatan is the one who demonstrates the leadership. Yonatan is the one who inspires the servant boy to follow him and to fight at his side. In other words, Yonatan, as it were, is the king in the making. He has the right stuff naturally. He's inspiring, and he's brave, and he's courageous, and he puts his trust in God, and he will not allow the prospect of a massive Philistine force to unseat him. More than that, when Yonatan eats from the honey, and he did not hear the oath of his father. That's true. His father says, now you must die because you abrogated the oath. Yonatan does not deflect the blame. He doesn't say it's someone else's fault. He says, here I am. I am ready to accept responsibility. Precisely what Shaul lacked in his conversation with Shimuel. It's everyone's fault but me. Yonatan says, it's my fault. And that's in spite of the fact that it isn't really his fault at all. He never heard the oath pronounced. So Yonatan is an individual that takes responsibility. Yonatan is an individual that says, the buck stops here. Or to put it differently, if we were thinking for a moment about an ideal king and what that ideal king might look like, it very well might be the case, according to chapter 14, that it's actually not Shaul, but his son, Yonatan, instead. And at the same time, we begin to appreciate what are the criteria for being an ideal king. That is Yonatan and how he conducts himself in chapter 14. So we're going to have to follow how these things develop. Will there be a tension between Shaul and Yonatan as a result of these events? 
what ultimately will happen to the kingdom of Shaul? These questions are yet to be answered. And in the following chapters, we will find out what happened. A critical takeaway from this piece of text, of course, is the idea that it is really trust which often wins the day. Sometimes we are placed in a situation which we did not choose, and it's a situation which can be overwhelming. And if we can only hold on to our resolve, then we can emerge from this situation intact and perhaps even stronger than when we entered it. Thank you again for listening to Crises and Kings with Rabbi Michael Hatton, a production of Parties North America in partnership with the Corn Podcast Network. If you liked what you just heard, please give a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening.